Thank you for tuning in to listen to this week's sermon at Bethel Church. Every week, Pastor Jeremy Dean delivers a powerful message rooted in Scripture, a heart for the gospel, and a love for God and His church. We also hope you check out the Bethel Church podcast, which release on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. throughout the year. To learn more about Bethel Church, you can visit lovingbethel.com. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Here's Pastor Jeremy Dean. If you've got your Bibles, go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're going to be in the Gospel of John for a little while as we really just do a deep dive into this Gospel and understand who Jesus is and what it means for us. You know, as, I, as we sang that song, there were two things that really stuck out to me. And there's so much Scripture, there's so much uh, Gospel in the song we just sang that death was arrested, right? But two pictures that were mentioned, one that mentioned the phrase, my orphan heart. It talked about, when we read Scripture, one of the things we'll see today is that, that, that when we are apart from Christ and apart from Jesus, when we don't have a relationship with God, it's as if we are orphans. And I read a little bit about what it was like to be an orphan. I read about a story about an orphan named William. William has been an orphan as long as he can remember. He's only eight years old. William has only known several parents along the way, which that, that phrase right there is interesting that as an orphan, you don't have just one set of parents. He's bounced from foster home to foster home, but most of his time has been at an orphanage. And as an orphan, things are continually changing for William. None of his relationships are permanent. He's got people in and out of the orphanage that come and go. There are uh, potential mothers and fathers that come and go, and there's kids that come and go. The time that he spends at the orphanage is usually structured time, and this is something we don't normally think about when, you, when, when he spends time at the orphanage. His, 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 you know, when the time when he wakes up is set for him, breakfast time is set for him, play time is set for him, you know, school is set for him, all of these different things. It's a very structured day. He doesn't know or have, he doesn't understand the concept of having his own room with his own toys that he can just freely go and play with whenever he likes, which is what I understood. This is what I knew when I was growing up. You know, he shared, he shares everything. You know, he's learned how to interact with other kids and adults because they're there, but he doesn't really know what it's like to have a mom or to have a dad. This is what it's like to be an orphan. Those who care for William do their best and they love him as they do for any child that's in their care. But things are sometimes just different for an orphan. But you know, everything changes when he is adopted by parents who are willing to bring him into their home and to love William as their own son. A mom and a dad who's willing to not just come in and go away after a couple of years, but, but come and be permanent and stay in his life and provide for stability and love and care for him. And don't you know that that is what our Father in heaven is offering to you and me? When he sent his son Jesus to die in our place on that cross to forgive us of our sins, he is essentially opening up the opportunity to come and say, I want to adopt you into my family. You know, in that song, there was also the word picture of being a prisoner. We're a prisoner no more. 
But see, the Bible teaches us that our sin is what imprisons us and separates us from God. It's like living in a jail cell. Unable to fully experience and fully live out what God created us for. Unable to fully experience the love that the Father has for us. Uh, as a prisoner stuck in this four-walled cell, locked in, we're chained in because of our sin and because of our rebellion. But Jesus came to set us free. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. In fact, that's what John, the, author, the writer of this gospel, wants to communicate in his gospel. That Jesus came to set us free. That Jesus came that we would know the Father. If you're taking notes, this is the big idea this morning. That God wants you to know and enjoy Him. To not be an orphan on the outside, looking in and hopeful and lost and in the dark and unsure of what's coming, but to be an adopted son or daughter in the family of God. God wants you to know and enjoy Him, not as a prisoner chained and in and, 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 and confinement in this one place, but to know the freedom that life in Christ brings. And what John's going to get across through this entire gospel is this, that God wants you to know and enjoy Him. And if you know Jesus, you know God. If you know Jesus, you certainly know God. Take a look at John chapter 1. Let's read these first few verses to start with. Look at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's a tongue twister. We'll come to that. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray over the reading of God's Word. Holy Father, we thank you for this time. God, I thank you that you brought us together. And Lord, we want to turn our attention to you and your word. God, help us to lay aside any distractions and anything that's in our lives that would keep us from coming close to you and understanding the truth of your word. Lord, help us to have conviction and belief in you and your word and what you have called us to. Let us recognize today that you have invited us to be adopted into your family, to be called children of God. Thank you, Jesus. Teach us this morning. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to walk through these verses and verse by verse to understand really what we're getting at. And in John's gospel, they, they normally would call this the prologue. All right, If you ever read a book, you sometimes have a prologue. In the prologue, it kind of gives you the introduction. It kind of gives you a taste of what is to come in the rest of the book. And so these verses 1 through 18 serve as the prologue to John's gospel. So as we read through this, we need to pack these things away in our minds that as we go through the rest of John, even if you go home today and you read ahead and you want to read through the rest of chapter 1 or 2 or 3, these things we learn today need to be the foundation and the basis about what John wants us to understand as we read everything that takes place, right? So 
in this first part, what we see is, is that, G, that John brings us all the way back to the beginning. Those very first words there in verse 1, it says, In the beginning. You may recall that there is another verse in Scripture that uses those same three words. It is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is doing something significant. He's doing something purposeful. He's taking us back to the very beginning when things started, when God created heaven and earth. See, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew will take you back to Abraham if you read the genealogy of Jesus. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke will take Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. Here, John takes us back even further to before the world began, in the beginning. He takes us to something that is supernatural. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you're taking notes, this is the big idea from this section. That Jesus is the true source of life. That life is found in Christ. That true living is found in a relationship and in a knowing of who Jesus is and believing in the promises that God has made through Him. Jesus is the true source of life. But, he, he, but what we see here, we haven't seen the word, the name of Jesus mentioned yet. John says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2, and in verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, John gets a little bit tongue-tied, it sounds like here, but there's a few things that we want to understand about the Word. The Word is eternal. He says, in the beginning, that is, before anything was made, the Word was. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This John is taking us back to before heaven and earth were created. Jesus was there. Jesus existed before heaven and earth were made. That simply tells us that Jesus, the Word, is eternal. And the reason that John uses this word, the Word, we say we translate it the Word, is actually logos in the Greek. Logos was understood by many to be the representation of what is orderly and what is uh, designed and what really is the essence of life. The ancient Greeks, when they thought of the Logos, they understood that, that, that nature and everything was not chaotic and random. It was designed. We understand that. We look at mathematics. Mathematics is orderly and structured. We look at science and physics and those sorts of things. We understand that it's ordered and structured. This idea of the Logos, even though they might, the ancient Greeks did not believe in the one true God, they recognized in the world that we live in that there is an order, that there is a structure, there is a design in the world that we live in. It was plain to them. It was evident to them. And John, in his gospel, is 
speaking to that culture and saying, look, the word, the logos that you are familiar with is eternal. It was in the beginning. It was with God. In fact, he even says that this logos that you're familiar with was God. And in verse 2, it says he. John calls this logos, the word, with a personal pronoun, he. It wasn't just some force. It wasn't just some essence. It wasn't just something out there. It was a person. So what do we know about this logos? What do we know about this word? It is eternal. It was in the beginning with God. And the word is God. That the word is God the creator. Look at verse 3. It says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We don't talk like that very much. We don't use those words in that way very much. It sounds kind of confusing to us. But essentially, what John is doing is he's taking us to the beginning before things were made. And he says, in the beginning, Jesus existed. He was with God. Jesus was God. And through him, everything that had a beginning was made by and through Him. Jesus is Creator. Now, the one who created everything that has a beginning, the one who created heaven and earth, we know as God. But the world doesn't always recognize that. We live in a period of history that for the last three or four hundred years has been hijacked by a naturalist philosophy which basically denies that there is any God at all, that there is anything divine, that we are just a product of biology and genetics and natural processes. But for most of history, it's been recognized and understood that there was a creator, that there was a being, a supernatural being that set everything in motion, that created all that we have. In verse 3, when it says all things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that has been made, is that in other words, He existed before there was anything made and the fact that anything was made is because of the Word. It's because of God. You know, if you do a little bit of reading, sometimes there's, there, there's an interesting argument about the existence of God. It's called the cosmological argument or the law of causation, which basically says that everything that has a beginning has a cause. Now let's just stop there for just a moment and think about that. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. And most scientists and everyone would believe that the universe itself has a beginning. It goes back to what the scientists would say would be the Big Bang, right? That's the Big Bang theory, not the television show, but the scientific theory. It goes back to the very beginning, that there is a beginning. There's a beginning to you. There was a day when you were not, and there was a day when you were, Right? And the law of causation says that everything that has a beginning has a cause, and most people believe that the universe has a beginning. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Let's put it another way. Let's think about it this way. Which is more reasonable? To think that no one created something from nothing, 
or that someone created something from nothing. I'll let you decide which one's more reasonable, but I think that it's a lot more reasonable in my mind that someone existed outside of space, outside of time, outside of matter, that was powerful enough to set it all in motion. I've used this analogy before as well. I want you to imagine a, 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 a stack of quarters. If, I, if, if you walked into this room and there was a stack of quarters on this table, would you assume that they randomly came together on their own and appeared on that table or that somebody came over and set them there? You see, what John is getting at here, where he's taking us, is that Jesus is God, that there is a creator, that there is a cause, that there is someone who set all of this in motion, that there was a beginning. And before it all came to be, the Word was there, and the Word was God. Now, why would I say that the Word is Jesus? Take a look at verse 14. We'll skip down for just a moment and look at verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we'll unpack this a little bit more in just a minute, but we know clearly that what John is saying, he's taking us way, 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 way back into the beginning that Jesus, the Word, existed before the world began, and through Him all that has been made was made by and through Him. He is God. He is the Creator. And then He tells us in verse 14 that this Word, God, the Creator, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. Jesus does not have a beginning. He has no end. That's crucial. Because how you answer the question, who is Jesus? What do I do with Jesus? How do I respond to Jesus? goes back to understanding this. How do you respond to God? How do you live before God? The one who made you. The one who created you. Now, look at verse 4. John continues on and he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, he introduces this new concept. This, he, he's talked about the Word. He's talked about the Logos, the source of life. The essence of life really is in Jesus Himself, the One who created us. And then he says, In him was life. See, we find life in Him. Not only do we find life because He made us and breathed life into us so that we have a heartbeat and we're breathing on our own, we have physical life in Him, but we also have spiritual life in Him. And He gives us this contrast. He says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So what do we learn in these two verses? We have life. Our source of life comes from God. Jesus is God. But we also have light and we have darkness. Now, as you read through this and understand what light is all about, there's two things that, that light can refer to. Light can refer to what is, I mean, it can refer to life itself, and it can also refer to 
truth and understanding. I think both concepts are mentioned here, are are important here. Because what we see is that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. I want you to take, for example, if we were to imagine if the sun were to go out, and we no longer had the light of the sun, what would happen to things here? They would all what? They would die. I mean, the plants, the grass, everything around us depends on the light of the sun to produce photosynthesis, all this other stuff that I don't understand, right? Things would would shrivel and die, not to mention the heat that we need from the sun. See, light is important and vital for us to live. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. But also, light is important for us to know truth. Light is important that we would understand if you use this analogy of being in a dark room, a room you're unfamiliar with, a room you don't know your way around and it's pitch dark and you can't see, you don't know where you are, you don't know where the door is, you don't know where the windows might be if there are any, you don't know if there's any furniture in the room, you don't know if there's anybody else in the room, you don't know if you're in danger or if you're safe. Why? Because you can't see anything. But the moment even a small hint of a light comes on, it illumines the room and then all of a sudden you know. All of a sudden you can see and you can take it in. So when we read through the Gospel of John, even understanding in this particular chapter here, when we think about the light, that Jesus is the light, it is not only that He helps us to see and understand the way things really are, but it's also that Him as the light is the source of life. And then apart from Him is the opposite. is Darkness. What does darkness represent? Darkness doesn't just represent not knowing. It simply it does represent that. It represents falsehood. It represents evil. But it also represents death. That those left in the dark, apart from the light, are condemned spiritually. But here's a word of hope. I love Verse 5, because it says here, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light that never stops shining in the dark. In other words, we don't have to be that prisoner stuck in that jail cell forever. We don't have to be that orphan apart from God and His love and His grace and His family forever. We don't have to be in the dark forever. We don't have to live as if there is no hope. Why? Because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness never overcomes it. That's who Jesus is. That is what He came to do. Take a look at verse 6. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So in those three verses, we won't unpack all of that, but we are introduced to a particular man named John. Not John, the author of this book, but John the Baptist. He's the one who prepared the way for Jesus to come and help people get ready for the message that Jesus would bring. We're going to talk more about him a little bit later. But what John makes clear here, what John the author says about John the Baptist is that John the Baptist was not the light. He came to bear witness. He came to tell about. He came to point others to the light. 
Look at verse 9. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I believe these verses right here basically point us to this, that receiving Jesus is the only way of salvation. When I use the word salvation here, I'm talking about being rescued from the darkness. I'm talking about being rescued from death. I'm talking about being rescued from not knowing the truth. I'm talking about being rescued from evil. I'm talking about having a relationship that is made right with the God who created you. And the only way to have that salvation is to receive Jesus by believing in His name by having a core conviction in you that Jesus is who He said He is, that He is God, that He was with God, that all that has been made was made through Him, that He is eternal, believing that Jesus is who He says He is and will do all that He's promised to do. Receiving Jesus is the only way of salvation. It says in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. By definition, the true light being Jesus means that there are false lights. See, the idea of truth is that it is exclusive. If it is true that this music stand is black, it cannot also be true that it's red. It's either or. It's exclusively Black, right? It's an absolute objective truth. And what we know about truth is that it is objective, that truth is not both and, it's either or. It's not that John the Baptist was, a, was the light and Jesus was the light. No, Jesus alone is the light, the true light. That There are others who may say they are. There may be others who think they are. There may be other ideas that think they have the answer, but there's only one true light. And what's great about this in verse 9 is it says that He gives light to everyone. He didn't come to just one specific group only. He didn't just come for a group of, uh, one certain group of people. He came to shine this light, to shine this truth, to make a way for whoever would believe. He came for us all. And then he says here, who did he come to specifically in verse 10? It says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He's come to everyone. He's come to the world, and the world, the Greeks, those who are not Jews, the Gentiles, they have rejected him. Even though he made the world we live in, there are those who reject that he has created. There are those who reject that he made them. There are those who rebel in sin, and I've been one, and sometimes I still am one. But then he says in verse 11, he came to his own. What does he mean his own? His own people. That is the Israelites, the Jews, God's chosen people from the Old Testament. That's what the Old Testament is all about. It talks about his chosen people. And Jesus came to even them, but they didn't receive him. They didn't believe in him. 
And what John is telling us is that there is a true light. Jesus is the true light. But because of darkness, because of copies, because of counterfeits, people reject the truth. I want to look at it this way. Look at verse 13. It says, For those who have received Him in verse 12 and believed in His name, who He has given the right to become children of God, He says in verse 13, who were born, and then He gives these three knots. Not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, or the will of man, but born of God. Let's just look at those three for just a moment. There are some in the world who believe that salvation and this life comes to them because of their blood. Because they were born into it. Because of their mom's faith or their dad's faith. Because they're connected or have always been in church. Because that's the culture that they live in. God does not save us because of our bloodline. God does not save us because of the culture we're in. You are not a believer because of your mom's faith or your grandma's faith or your great-grandma's faith. It all comes down to your faith. It says, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh. There are those who think that if I just do enough, this is the works mentality. That if if I give my body to enough, if I do this and I do this and I do this, if I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I do all of these practices, then God somehow is going to be pleased with me. It's going to be enough for me to have salvation in Him. There are other faiths that deny that Jesus is God, that deny that Jesus is Lord, and all of those faiths are work-based. They've got to do enough to earn their way. But what we see here in verse 13 is that those who have received Jesus, who believe in His name, we are not born because of our bloodline. We are not born because of our efforts and what we're able to accomplish, nor of the will of man. Sincerity or good intentions. There are those who think that God will receive them into His family, forgive them of their sins and things because they meant well. I meant to get to it. I intended to be a good person. I was pretty sincere in the things that I did when I gave to charity and those kind of things. I I meant well. Good intentions are not going to get you to heaven. In fact, I heard someone say, I can't tell you who it was, but I heard someone say that hell will be full of a lot of people with good intentions. So then how are we saved? By receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. By His grace. And that's where He turns next. If you're taking notes, This is the last thing. It says Jesus has revealed the true nature of God. Look at verse 14. We're back to the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. One of the things I see in this verse 
is that he is taken in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 1, right, he's talking about the Word, and then he comes, he, he speaks about the light, and then he gets to verse 14, and he says, the Word became flesh. He took us from this big scope of in the beginning when God created everything, that Jesus was God, He existed, and through Him all things were made. Right? He takes us to this big picture of the world, and then all of a sudden He brings us to now God created everything, has come and is living like you and me. He's come into the world that He made. He's taken on flesh just like you and I have, and He's come near to us. That Jesus, that God is not just a powerful supernatural being who set all this in motion and has nothing to do with us. No, He is so near and personal and involved in our lives. He's right there. He's right there with us. We celebrate that at Christmas. His incarnation, the fact that He came and was born as a baby in a manger. The God who made you. Why did He do that? He did it for this reason. That we would see His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came that we would know the Father. I think it's fascinating that in these first 13 verses, we know God as God. John uses the word God. He uses the word theos in these first 13 verses. But in verse 14, it shifts. He's known as Father. There's a personal and intimate and close relationship that God wants to have with us. And we know God if we know Jesus. Why? Because it says the fullness. He is full of grace and truth. Look at, look at verse 15 and 16. John bore witness about him. He gives us this parenthesis, this aside, right? Don't forget, guys, John the Baptist bore witness to the light. He is not the light. We'll get, and he, we'll get to John a little more later. But verse 16, for from his fullness, what's he full of? He's full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What does this word grace mean? It means undeserved favor. It's that orphan in the orphanage who's doing what he's told to do and trying to do what he can, but, when, but he cannot make a mom or a dad come and adopt him. It's grace. When a mother or a father comes and adopts that orphan into their family, they didn't do it because that kid deserved it. They didn't do it because that kid earned it. They did it because they simply loved him and shown him grace. It's not because of our sincerity and good intentions. It's not because of our good efforts and our earnings. It's not because we were born into this particular family that God loves us. No, it's His undeserved favor just because He loves you and me. And Jesus is full of grace and truth. And from His fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. We receive all these blessings of His grace because of who Jesus is. And then verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Jesus 
has come to show us who God is and what God is really about. That Jesus is full of grace and truth. Meaning that though He has adopted you and I into His family, if we have believed in Him as our Lord and Savior, but by He's full of truth, the expectation is that we will go and sin no more. That we will go the way He has le- that He leads us. That we will live in the righteousness that He has given us. That we would live as though we've been adopted by our Heavenly Father. Man. This is good stuff. This is just the beginning of the Gospel of John. And what we see here, what John is showing us here, is that Jesus is God. He made you. And that He is the true light, that that only through Him can we have life. That there's a lot of counterfeits that are out there, but the true light is Christ. And that we can be received into His family to be near to God as a father and a son are close to one another. That we are filled with His grace and that we live by His truth. I'm going to invite Chrissy to come. She's going to play. And as she plays, I encourage you to just simply reflect on what you've heard. Reflect on who Jesus is. Reflect on the relationship that you have with God. You see, God has made it clear, He's made it evident to us that not only has He created all things and made you, but He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to walk with Him day in and day out. He wants to teach you. He wants you to learn from Him. He wants to shower you with grace upon grace. He wants to lead you in the way of truth. He wants to bless you in all of those things. And if you've been trying so hard just to earn His favor, no, you've already got it. If you've been thinking that your association with the church or your association with the family or your, your faith, the faith of your mother or the faith of your dad or the faith of your grandparents is enough to get you by, don't buy into that counterfeit lie. It's your faith. It's do you believe that Jesus is who He says He is? Do you believe that He is God? Do you believe that He can forgive you? Do you believe He loves you that much? You have to decide. And don't think that good intentions are going to be enough. Today could very well be the day and the last day you have to turn your life over to God and to follow Him. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so I would encourage you that if you, if you are ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come talk to me during this time. Pray during this time. Whatever it may be, I'll be right here. I'll be glad to talk with you. If you're walking with Him, take this time to pray. and Thank Him for the love that He has shown you. Ask Him to show you those areas of your life that you are not walking in truth. That you're not living as though you've been adopted by our Heavenly Father. Take time to pray for your neighbor. Pray for the person at work. Pray for the person at school that you know doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. We can't do anything more important in these few moments. 
However God leads you to respond, let's do it by faith. Let's pray.